Yeah, because I, um, I had that this morning. Like I said, I woke up oh, yeah. and went to my fridge and I had an ice-cold monster in there. And I went, I don't really want to take this to the office because I know by the time I get to the office, it was in my bag, it'll be slightly warm. Oh, yeah. And I want it when it's ice cold. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sat there taking a huge, big sip of this. And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. My girlfriend walks in and went, what are you doing? It's my anti-hangover juice. And she went, get out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I refer to it as anti-hangover juice as a joke. It's like, get out, drink water instead. Like, I did drink water when I woke up this morning. But this, I need it. I need it. Oh, God, yeah. I needed that iced coffee instead of a regular one. Because I could yeah. not be doing with a warm drink right now. Because right now, um, we are like, it's in the midst of a mini heat wave, is it? We had the hottest day of the year, two days ago. Uh, to be honest, I haven't been paying attention other than the fact that I've started sweating. <laughs> so oh, I don't okay. know. It's just been the, really fucking warm. I believe we had like the hottest day of the year so far, a couple of days ago. And I know this because I looked on Twitter and just saw one of those images where even before um, COVID, I would have been like, fuck that. And it mm. was Brighton Beach, oh, God. jam-packed oh, God, with man. people. Oh. And even discounting the fact we're in a pandemic, like, have you ever, like, ever enjoyed driving three and a half hours to a packed beach? Um, I live on the seafront, so no. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's more yeah, like it's um, like a ten-minute drive. <laughs> it's more like I've like I live in the middle of the country. I'm yeah, like, yeah. The north. Um, to get to the beach is, at the very least, like a two-hour drive. To get to a nice beach, it's a four- or five-hour drive. Yeah. And there were yeah, plenty yeah. of people there that day, and it's, like, driving for like from, like, eight in the morning to get there at midday. And then, um, I think, Brighton Council put out a thing saying, there's no parking spaces. Yeah, yeah. Like, like not at the seafront, just in Brighton. There are no <laughs> parking spaces. And there was an hour-and-a-half-long queue to get into the city. Ooh. And then oh, it's obviously like another two-hour thing. It's like at that point, I say let's say it's your day off and it's warm, and you've spent what 20, 30 quid in fuel. You're gonna spend like another twenty, thirty quid there. You're gonna be miserable all fucking day. You're sat in your car and it's warm. Yeah. You pay for parking. At that point, I would rather take the thirty quid and just buy a box of ice lollies and sit in my back garden. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know what the logic is, and I've always struggled to discern the logic of driving five and a half hours. In really stress, which is going to stress you out because everyone who's driving that long in that weather is stressed. Yeah. To de stress? It's bizarre. And I remember like moving to Sheffield and again, I live right next to like four beaches. So Mm. I am quite privileged in that sense. Always have been. But like when someone's like, yeah, we should take like a day trip to the beach, it's only like three hours away. I was like, what? What? Like a three hour drive to a beach? Why would you do that? That sounds stressful as fuck, as you said. Like, yeah, but that's how you get to the beach. It's like, oh, so yeah. why is it specifically the beach? Go to a park or a lake. Yeah, I live next. Like the Lake District is like an hour away. Let's go exactly. There. But, um, yeah. What really cracks me up about it though is uh, this happened a while ago, like during the the height of the pandemic, and it was we had, if you recall, um, a unseasonable heat wave. Yep. Right at the start of um, lockdown, mm-hmm. and um, every seaside coastal town issued a statement saying, please don't come. Please do not leave your homes during the lockdown to come to the beach. But obviously Please. everyone did. Yeah, oh yeah, of course, immediately, yeah. yeah. Um, the, some of the stories were like so disheartening to read and you feel so bad, like um, people who own chip shops, which are like they live in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like they own a shop, but like they own the buildings. So there was like um, if Americans, I'm not sure if this would be a thing over there, but 
And there are stores in the UK and pubs and things like that where the bottom floor is the store and then above it is a place people live. Yeah, no, it's all like terraced houses slash stores where the whole bottom front is a storefront across like the street. And then, yeah, people live above. And people were knocking on the doors of people who own those, like, get into the shop, I want to buy stuff. It's like, no! Oh, God. And then, like, the bin men refuse to take any of the rubbish because there's so many people on the streets. So the rubbish just start overflowing. And then the other one was um, people who live in the area. Like, people are just parking in my garden. Oh, God. Because there's no parking. Because the city's full. Yeah. And there's a quote from someone, I think, like, you almost have to respect them just for how selfish it is. If I drove five hours to get here, I'm not going till I get an ice cream. And it's like, for fuck's oh, sake. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I just saw it. It's, um, it reminds me a little bit of a story, um, a, 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 what I like about... Um, I'm going to just quickly, um, you know, fact-checking ruins this podcast. It slows it down. But I'm going to well, get the name of the town. While you do that, I just want to mention, like, shout out to... I think it was, like, maybe Landlord No in Wales, where instead of getting overtaken by, like, people during lockdown, the goats just took the city back over. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's loads of stories like that, isn't there? It's like, yeah. nature is healing. Yeah. And they're some of my favourite uh, memes about the nature is healing one. Like, I was walking um, through Sheffield, mm. and obviously pubs have started to open again, and I know pubs were open, not from the drunken people walking around, not from the news saying pubs were open, it's because I walked to the shop and walked like through an alleyway that I'd take to the shop each time yeah. and there was just an, an empty brand new Dorex condom wrapper on the floor oh. and it's like it's like nature is healing oh, God. people are having sex in alleyways again the world is healing oh, no. <laughs> things are coming back to normal and I found the story now and it is um, uh, it's a small town called um, Bibri so it's a, it's a town or a village Okay. Yeah. and it's all started when there's a guy called Peter Maddox who was 84 at the time this article was released so that was 2017, so if he's still about, um, he'll be like 87 now. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Maddox um, came to the attention of, I think, like basically all of Britain, because it was one of those um, like for fun articles. Oh, you know, right, new, yeah. News of the weird type things that went all over the world. So people in America and other places might, might have heard this story where um, Bibery, or Bibery, if I'm pronounced, whichever way it's pronounced, um, is, one of, is known as being one of the most picturesque um, villagers in all of the UK. Like, it is the quintessential um, English village. Right, yeah, yeah. Where it has, like, the thatched roofs, like, the um, like the stone cottage looks, and the grass, the sheep, everything around there. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Maddox just so happens to own a bright yellow corsa. Oh. <laughs> which he parks outside of his house. Yeah. Because it's my fucking house, and it's my car, and I'm not fucking walking. But... People travel from hundreds of... Some people travel from abroad to come to his village. Mm. Like, it's that beautiful. Like, it's that picture. It's like if you imagine Britain in your head, like, like old English countryside, it would be this um, village. Right, yeah, So yeah. what was happening to Maddox is people were banging on his door saying, move your car, you're ruining my photo. Oh, God. And no. he's like, fuck off, I live here. And people yeah. are walking into his house. And keying his car and stuff like that because they're saying it ruins the aesthetic of the village. And this village in particular, yeah, like uh, because it's so picturesque, um, tourists don't think people live there. Oh man! They think like the house, oh, they're historic buildings. It's like oh, we can walk inside and multiple people in the village report, yeah. And any given day, someone was walking to my front room, not realizing people live there. What? 
Oh, man. That's the thing. And it says, like, tourists have complained that it ruins the view. And earlier in the year, the vehicle was vandalised. So what happened in 2017 was um, a guy from Coventry is like, no, fuck that. And he got together with a hundred other people who own yellow vehicles and just drove to the town and parked everywhere so to ruin everyone's photos. Oh, it says here, like, here's an additional factoid. Like, this is how um, uh, iconic um, it is. It's where the National Trust, which um, basically owns all of the, like, basically areas of outstanding natural beauty in the UK and maintains things like manor houses and things that are deemed, like, basically cult- the cultural heritage of Britain. Yeah. They own a series of cottages alongside, which they help maintain. People do live there, but like, obviously you've got to maintain the facade of the building to mm-hmm. maintain the area of beauty. But they can't control your car. But they're so iconic that they are featured on the inside cover of the British Passport. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. I'm just looking around to see if my passport was to hand then to double oh, check. To, to double check, yeah. But it's like that's how iconic these... Um, uh, uh, little cottages are, but it says here that the complaint started in 2015 after someone posted a picture of his car. They're just saying, oh, it's this ugly yellow car's ruining the view. And it says, in February, Vandal scratched the words move into the car bonnet, smashed oh its panels God. and broke all his windows, causing £6,000 worth of damage. Fucking hell. At the time, a defiant Mr. Maddox said that it was too expensive to repair, so he bought a replacement that was lime green. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, go, Mr. Maddox. I thought you were just going to say, like, he was defiant, so he just left the wreckage of a car outside instead. Oh, boy. This one of those stories that reminds me of that, where um, people didn't know that people lived in these things, so they're banging on the door, oh, like, let God. us in, sell us some fish and chips. Oh, fuck me. Well, that's one of those stories where it's like, it's funny, and then it's like, there's that little sad bit where sad tourists who travelled all this way to take this picture were so mad, they went and vandalised this guy's car. Yeah. And you can't even blame it on, like, no good kids. It's like, oh, maybe some kids just vandalised. It's like, no, they wrote the word move on it, so it's clearly someone's pissed off he spoiled their photo. Exactly, yeah, so kids wouldn't give a shit about anything like that. Oh, God, what petty fucking horrible people. Because you ruined my photo of this village. That um, is so iconic. You could basically just get... You could go onto online and get a stock photo of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I've always been baffled by. People, t- like, travelling always way to take the same photo 100 other people have. Mm-hmm. And I've had this, um, I guess it's not like, just this idea in mind whenever I've been abroad and been to places where like, the famous tourist spots, like, I went to the, the Colosseum in Rome yeah. and I saw the David um, in Florence, like these iconic pieces of like well-known art and history that everybody, when they see them, takes a photo. Yeah, sure, yeah. So uh, you've no doubt seen um, those pictures people take near the Leaning Tower of Pisa where you just take a picture of the crowd and it's everybody looking like they're doing Thriller because everyone wants to do the shot of them holding it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've always endeavoured, like, I'm always going to take a different photo where I go. So my picture next to the David is me pointing at his dick. <laughs> and my picture in front of um, the Coliseum is me posing like, um, like I'm spread out on a chaise longue. Is it chaise longue? Chaise longue? I don't know how to pronounce that word. I don't. I know what you mean, but I don't exactly it's, know the it's, it's spelled chase lounge but I know it's not that so I think it's chase lounge either way I'm like, spread out on one of them and the reason I love that photo is because I sent it to my mum like mum I saw the Coliseum today and she sent a zoomed in photo back of my crotch because I had that thing where your trousers fold up so I look <laughs> like I've just got a big erection in this photo I was like god damn it <laughs> but I've always been baffled by the idea of going to these places and taking the exact same photo that already exists a hundred times over. 
I do, however, love yeah taking the picture of everybody taking that same picture. Yeah, that's a good one. That's really strong, is that? Yeah. And because um, I live in Sheffield, and you can whenever university starts, um, you'll be guaranteed that for the first month mm-hmm. of when university starts so around September time. Because um, there's something in Sheffield, I don't know what it's called, but just outside the train station, there's a water feature. There is, it's a yeah. big silver wall that water goes down. It is literally just a water feature that's like um, essentially like a piece of art bought by the yeah. city. Yeah. And it's like, it's quite iconic. Yeah. It's like just as you exit the train station to Sheffield, you, you see that. It's smack bang in front of your face, yeah. Yeah, it's the first thing you will see if you arrive in Sheffield like via public transport. And every year you'll see university students taking the same photo, which is going to the end of it and taking a picture so it's reflected. It's um, So they the reflection of the city in that water feature. And they'll right, sometimes yeah. be lined up in a row taking that photo. And I found myself <laughs> thinking, how like the photography lecturers at Sheffield Hallam must get so fucking sick of this same photo. Oh, like God, someone, yeah. like they must get about 20 people in their class every year submit the same photo for the assignment of take a picture of Sheffield. Like, look how clever I am. It's like, no, everyone thought that. Yeah, every literally every student who comes in takes the same photo. Oh, God. And, yeah, I think my favourite one that I've seen is um, when you go to the Eiffel Tower and everyone's trying to do, like, the finger on top. Yeah. It's like, oh, God. Holding the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. and No one ever... Like, the best ones, though... I've ever seen like the Leaning Tower of Pisa one is the guy who's um, on his back and his mate looks like he's trying to shove it into his ass. <laughs> That's a good one. I always found that one quite funny. But um, you're just taking the same photos over and over again. It's, um, it's amusing to me. And have you ever been like any areas where like famous images have um, come from? Um, other than the Eiffel Tower, I don't think so. Oh, no, no areas uh, of like, outstanding like... natural beauty. Oh, um, well, I did go on, like, a Game of Thrones location tour in Northern Ireland. Oh, okay. So so it was, like, where loads of iconic different moments have been shot and, like, a couple of the castles and stuff like that that they film in. Does that include the Giant's Causeway? That's an island, isn't it, if I remember correctly? Um, Which place is that? That's like the, all the big um, uh, rocks that jut out of the ocean. Yeah, they're we all, did like, go there. He- yes, they're we did, weirdly yeah. hexagon- hexagonal. Yeah, because I was like, I remember that name. Yeah, we did go there. We did go there. Oh, that's a, a really famous one. And then you always get the story each year of a person, usually an influencer these days, or like an Instagram celebrity who tries to take a photo really far out on the causeway, which mm. you're told not to do because it's literally in the middle of the fucking sea. Yeah, there and were like keep... signs everywhere of like, do not go past this location. Because people keep falling off it and need to be rescued, and it's like really starting to annoy the Coast Guard. Yeah. Oh, God. It's like, yeah. So I guess there's quite a few locations on th- that spot where like, everyone's taking the same photo. And like, th- there are beautiful landscapes there, and I took mm-hmm. some like lovely pictures. Um, but God, yeah, I'm not under any illusion that. Oh, I took this like landscape photo that no one's ever seen. It's like, it's well, just, there were 10,000 people on the same tour all throughout the day, but yeah, sure. Yeah, and um, that reminds me a little bit of, oh God, it's just completely gone out of my mind. I hate when that happens, when you get brain farts. Carl's like, oh, that reminds me of a time. Oh, and then as I was forgotten. saying the sentence, the thing I was going to talk about just leapt completely out of my <laughs> mind. And I'm not sure why that happens, but God damn, is it annoying. 
Was that that theory, isn't it, that um, God's playing Sims and he just clicked in your head to cancel your current action? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that one. But no, it was something about photos and people taking photos in specific locations. Oh, that was it, yeah. Um, like those signs they put up, like the one at Giant's Causeway, don't go past this location, please. Yeah. This can lead on from like uh, Brighton Council being like, Brighton's full, don't come. And then you get a 50-mile traffic jam. And then people in the traffic jam are like, well, why are there so many people here? <laughs> they probably have the same idea as you. And before we go on to like Dead Quit, I just want to talk about like, um, perhaps my favourite interview during that uh, the aforementioned mid-lockdown heatwave. Oh, okay. Where a load of people went to the beach and they were interviewing this lady. Uh, like an older woman, probably like 60s, late 50s. But they ask her, like, so what do you think of like you know all the people who are coming here? It's like, disgusting. Can't believe people would be so inconsiderate to come all this way. Just because it's a night, just because it's a hot day. Putting yeah. people's lives at risk. Ignoring government advice. And then after she goes on this big spiel about how awful and irresponsible everyone is, the interviewer says, oh, so where are you? Are you, from, are you local there? No, no, we drove here from about two hours away. <laughs> He's like, oh, God damn it. Oh, God. And that's so, a different um, interview than the one I was thinking of as well. Okay. So I was thinking of an interview where it was like, um, this woman essentially defending doing that. Okay. And it was an older woman again, and I think she said she was like in her seventies, and so she'd like met up with her friend that day. Oh, I remember this one. This was beach, famous. And it was like, well, it doesn't really matter if I go to the beach. I'm not going to live very long anyway. And it's like, okay, but what about the other people? Like, do you not care about them? Well, no, not really. Then it's yeah. like, oh, did you go with your husband? No, I went with my friend. My husband's recently had a stroke and is sheltering at home. It's like, oh, God. I remember that one. Like, you almost have to respect how selfish it is. Yeah. Of, I don't care if I die, I'm old, I want to go out. Do you give a shit if you kill someone? Not really now. Yeah. You so almost I'm gonna have to respect anyway. it. I'm going to die soon anyway. I don't care. Oh, now, it was that moment where, like, the interviewer was like, right, I've got a... It was like, do you think one day at the beach is worth risking dying? And she went, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I guess it's fine. <laughs> oh, oh. is one day with your friend. Yeah, fair enough. Like, you can't really respond to that in any way, but fair enough, love. <laughs> Carry okay. on. And that could bring us to, like, there's a couple of other places in the world where there's these really amazing um, pieces of advice handed down that like, you wouldn't expect them to have to say what they do. Like one is like Yellowstone National Park, where I think Old Faithful is there, the famous geezer that goes off every couple of hours. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Or the geyser, depending on how you pronounce it. And people keep taking selfies near it, and they keep falling in. Oh, God. And it's like, stop doing this. And they put like, and they have um, signposts around, don't go near it. They have like stuff in the way to stop you getting near it. And people climb over it, take photos, and fall in. Yeah. And then blame Yellowstone National Park for like, why didn't you warn? It's like, we did like 20 fucking times. Oh my god! And then all the other signs they have in national parks around, like the ones like "Don't take selfies with the bison," and it's like, why? It's like, have you ever seen how big a bison is? Why do you ever need to be told that? Yeah, it does. I'm gonna double check now. It's a uh, "Don't take selfies with bison." It might be bison or buffalo. Like that's a piece of advice I never thought I'd have to learn. Like, don't take selfies with these giant animals that yeah, fly yeah, you in one. I Google don't take selfies with bison. Um, the first result is a BBC News headline. Yellowstone Park advises against selfies with bison. 
<laughs> Due to a series of injuries, Yellowstone National Park has officials warning tourists that selfies and bisons don't mix. <laughs> a 40, uh, after an incident in which a 43-year-old Mississippi woman was thrown into the air after she turned her back on a bison, oh, officials God. have been forced to issue warnings saying don't take selfies with them. <laughs> oh. oh, God. It's also like, yeah, don't go hug bears. Like, fucking hell, guys. I, it's just... You say he's here that a, a bison... Uh, he says you should stay 75 feet away from them, and that's not because that's the safe distance, like, you know, where they won't attack you or whatever. That's because that's safe enough distance where you can run away and the bison might give up. <laughs> he also says they, they weigh 2,000 pounds. Oh, so 900 kilos, so as much as a small car, and they can run at about 30 miles an hour. Yeah, so, so it will get, be like getting hit by a fucking car. It's oh, just, man. I, but to see that sign and someone go, ah, it's fine. It's alright. I, I can take a picture with the bison. They get tackles. I didn't expect this. Well, it's like that thing of just everybody seems to think they're the special one that rules don't yeah. apply to. I am the exception to the rule. Like, the bison have attacked everyone, but they won't attack me. <laughs> it's just like, I think another one, yeah, is like the do not go near the geyser and people keep going near it and falling in. It's like, oh, well, you could have warned me. It's like, for fuck's sake, we did. And I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's, like, a couple of places that's basically, like, do not go near this. It's so dangerous. There's, like, a, a famous river in the UK where literally every single person who's ever fallen into it has died. Fucking hell. Because there's, like, a massive, like, undercurrent or something like that just drags you instantly. Yeah. It's near, like, a dam, which causes, like, super dangerous, like, water phenomenon mm-hmm. to the point where, like, divers won't go in. So yeah. It's like, if you fall in, no one's coming to help. Nope. I don't because if we him. do, the people who go to help you will die. Because yeah. no one survives. And people still go near it. Oh, my word. It baffles like, me. It really if does. If you fall in, we're not going to help. Because that's, um, I think, that's something they do, um, um, Nepalese officials do, in regards to Everest. Oh, okay. Where you have to apply for a license to climb Everest, and it can cost anywhere upwards of, like, 20 grand. Yeah. Depending on what time of year you want to do and how many people you want to take up there. So what people do in response, well, I'm not going to pay, why do I have to pay the government to climb a mountain? It's right there. I can mm. just walk up it. And what happens is they get stuck up there because they've not applied for a license, which also includes that you have to be either a highly experienced mountaineer or have a Sherpa who yeah. knows how to climb the mountain. And they've basically, in recent in the recent years, said, if you don't apply for a license and you get stuck, we will not help you. Fair enough. Because we told you not to climb the mountain. And it's like, you you find yourself like being like unable to like sympathize. You, you were told not to. They said they wouldn't help. And then they get to the top, they need help. And it's like, and it doesn't come. It's like, well, you were warned yeah. like a dozen times. And yeah. I, like, it's one of those situations where you really struggle to empathize with the person who's complaining. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's like, imagine how fucking brutal that is, though. Oh, God. Like, oh, I need help. I'm stuck. Have you got a license? Nah. <laughs> have you got the get, permit uh... no I ignored every warning given to me and now I need help oh it's almost like those warnings were in place for a reason <laughs> yeah. oh so dear I, god I kind of want that to be a thing that's like just happens more because do you remember like back in the day and by back in the day I mean like 100 years ago okay so really but really really back in the day where um, fire departments before they were like a public service yeah. were private Oof. And in the UK, uh, they had this system where um, if you bought insurance with a fire department, 
um, you had to put a plaque outside your house. Okay. Said, like this home is insured against fire uh, by this fire service. Yeah. If your house caught fire and you didn't have one of those, they wouldn't put it out. Oh god. They'd just let your house burn down. And the only way you could get it put out is if your house was next to someone who had insurance. Yeah. Because they needed to do it to protect the other house. Jesus. And there were like stories from back um, when this was a thing. Uh, yeah, uh, my house burnt down and like three fire departments turned up, realised they didn't have insurance and just left. Oh. And then you go back in time, uh, back in time was a bit further to the Roman Empire. And um, I'm going to forget the name of the guys. So I'll double check it now. So. Because he became like the richest man um, ever because okay. of this. All I'm because intrigued. of like... So we have it. So it's Marcus um, Licinius Crassus. So he's um, largely regarded as the richest man in human history. Because if you take his like total wealth, it would have made him the equivalent of almost a trillionaire in today's money. But the way he would make money is he ha- he bought a shit ton of slaves, and he okay. outfitted them with um, buckets of sand, buckets of water, and other rudimentary firefighting tools. And any time a fire happened in Rome, his army of slaves would turn up, uh, at which point he would make the person a simple offer, I'll buy your house for half of what it's worth. If they said no, he would watch as it burned down and then make them an offer of a quarter of what it was worth until they agreed to his price, at which point his army of slaves would put the fire out, repair all the damage, and then sell the house for its original worth. Oh. And he did this all over Rome and as a result became the richest man in human history. It's like you kind of have to respect how fucking just brutally efficient that is. That is. Oh god. Just I mean, to be fair, he's not the one who has to stand there and watch people's houses burn down. But yeah, just the idea of I'm gonna watch people just lose their entire livelihood until they just bow down to my terms. you got to admit, though, that's a pretty good bargaining tool. Well, your house is on fire. <laughs> it's, like, it's basically, you can take half of what your house is worth, or you can let it all burn to the ground and have nothing. Yeah. And then I'll buy the land off you for a fraction of what I'm offering right now. So either way, you're going to come out without a house, and however much money you want to take from the barter. Yeah. Like, uh, at, at some point, you are going to lose that land and that house. You might as well just take the most amount of money he's going to offer. Yeah, so it says here, like, uh, some of his wealth. I'm on Wikipedia now. Some of his wealth is acquired conventionally through trafficking slaves, production from silver mines, and speculative real estate purchases. So, yeah, um, he notoriously purchased burnt and collapsed buildings. He bought slaves who were architects and builders when he had over 500 slaves. He bought houses that had burnt, and the adjacent ones that their owners would let go at a trifling price. No, and then they're like sell attached them. to yeah. burnt down houses. So at some point, he would, uh, it says here that he basically owned half of Rome. Jesus Christ. Just, fa- just through doing this. Fucking, I mean, fair play, but... The, f- the first ever Roman fire brigade was created by Crassus. This is like the actual story here, so if there's any mistakes I made, we can correct them right now. Okay. Um, because fires were almost a daily occurrence in Rome, and Crassus took advantage of the fact that Rome had no fire department by creating his own. 
uh, 500 men, um, all trained builders and architects, who would rush to burning buildings. Upon arriving at the scene, the firefighters did nothing while Crassus offered to buy the house from the distressed property owner. Oh, if the owner agreed to sell the property, his men would put out the fire. If the owner refused, they would simply let the structure burn to the ground. Oh, man. After buying many properties this way, he rebuilt them and often leased the properties to their original owner. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. fucking Oh. oh, so good. What a fucking hustle that is. Oh, he man. leased their own home back to them. Yeah. Like, you can't, you, again, you have to respect it just for how brutally efficient it is. Yeah, you kind of do. As much as I feel bad about it, it's like, I guess, just, yeah, fair play. Well, unfair play, but yeah. Well, like, it's, it's one of those things as well. He was like one of the richest people in human history. And it's one of those figures that it's like, it's, you know, it's it's contested because it's very difficult to uh, translate how much Roman talents were worth in yeah. American dollars today. But it's uh, like some of the stories about like just his wealth, where it's like, oh, he could afford to support and feed and house and clothe the entire Roman army for a month. Which doesn't sound like a lot until you realise how massive the Roman army was, and that'd yeah, be like it was someone a today. Empire built by that army, and it's, it'd be like someone today, like saying I could support the entire U.S. military just from my back pocket. Imagine having that much money and then still not helping the world out, eh, Carl? Yeah, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Like that is like just that legendary tweet of I don't understand how billionaires can sit there knowing they can fix all these problems and just like not. Yeah, I don't understand how like someone like Jeff Bezos can sit there and just accumulate money during a pandemic and go, yeah, this is cool. Well, we should, we should really know it's been talked about today. So we can go back yeah, to like, another one of my favourite super wealthy people, which is John D. Rockefeller. Uh, like, famously one of the wealthiest men who have ever lived. Okay. And like, this, like basically he was so rich that they introduced a tax uh, for people who earn, I think it's like over a billion dollars or something. I'm going to double check what it is now. Basically, they invented a tax just for him. I want to double check what exactly the figures were because it's really funny. Because he was really mad about it. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like so obviously a thing that only fucked him up. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, they just made it to fuck him over. Man. Maybe we no, could not... bring that back. Like, bring I some of that shit back. I don't appear to be able to find it. Da, da, da. Oh, dear. Oh, here we go. Yeah, here it is. It's, um, uh, da, 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 da. So, John Day, um, Ro- oh, it was a Rockefeller. I'm going to double check. Because they've got, like, a brief thing here. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, just, like, Carl and his uh, research mode now. Oh, it's because, like, it's an interesting story. So it it is, yeah, yeah. So, hopefully, like, people will bear with us. Well, Carl, just find some interesting things to talk about. Yeah, so it says here that um, they introduced a new tax in America. It's like a 70% um, uh, real estate tax, but it literally only impacted him because he was the only person rich enough to apply for it. So they made this tax just for him. Yeah. And he's apparently okay with it, but then you fast forward to today, everyone like screeching. Like, no! Yeah. I don't want to pay. It's like, oh, how dare you? How dare you make me, like, distribute some of my wealth? But I look, one of the things I like about Rockefeller, I'm going to double check make sure it's, um, 
Uh, what he likes doing though is just giving dimes. So American dimes, dime, so ten cents. But like ten cents back then, like when he was alive, so he was a double check um, his. So he lived um, in the nineteenth century. So with dimes, like basically a dollar, I guess the equivalent buying Maybe, power yeah. today. Around that, he would always, always carry a pocket full of dimes. Okay. And he would give dimes to children because he enjoyed seeing the look on their face when they saw a brand new shiny dime. So it'd be the equivalent of giving someone, like, you know, a brand new crisp dollar bill. Today. Yeah, 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 sure. And he just likes seeing the look on the kids. Oh, wow, a, a shiny dime. So it sounds like a dick when you say it and you think a dime's 10 cents. Well, back then, it was enough for a kid to, like, you know, go buy himself some candy, maybe see it as like a, a, a soda or something like that, a, a new toy. Okay, yeah. But he just really liked like, just handing out dimes, and he enjoyed doing it so much. Uh, because Obviously, he hung out with other billionaires. He would yeah, give them yeah, dimes yeah. too. Because like, what do you get? <laughs> a billionaire? So he'd just give them a dime. Oh, God. As like, a birthday oh, present. God. They're like, really, fucking Rockefeller? He's like, what else do you want? You, you're rich as fuck. You don't need out. <laughs> well, the idea, he just gave rich people dimes and would just like, hand them out to children. Oh, man, can you imagine? Like, obviously not if you're a billionaire, but, it, like, one of your best mates is a billionaire, and you're like, oh, it's my birthday coming up. I wonder what this guy's going to get me. And he just gives you, like, a dollar. It's like, oh, no. Well, the thing is, there's a, a great moment in um, the Justice League animated TV show. Yeah. Where, they, where they, they discuss a similar concept, where it's Superman's birthday. Like, it's, uh, like Superman. Like, 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 mates with Bruce yeah. Wayne. Yeah, it's like Clark Kent. Superman, it's his birthday, he's celebrating, it's like his mum gets him a sweater. Um, I think like uh, Wonder Woman goes like Themyscira and gets him like this legendary artifact that's never been held by a man. <laughs> and they like, go to, they turn to Bruce Wayne, Batman, and go, so it's a difficult question, what do you get the man who has everything? They turn to Bruce and he holds it up and it's just a piece of, it's a card. They go, really Bruce, a gift card? He goes, no, cash. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what do you get, Superman? A completely immortal, bulletproof man. Uh, so he just fair, gives you like, like, yeah, Clark Kent probably doesn't earn that great a wage. But it's that thing though of um, Batman gives Superman cash on his birthday. I fucking love that. <laughs> I love their relationship as it's explored uh, in those shows. Yeah, uh, we talked briefly, didn't we, in one of the playthroughs we do in, where's uh, one of the animated films where it's Batman and Superman are like um, framed. And yeah. they like try to clear their names, and they break into a building, and Superman just flies down into the building, and Batman uses grappling hook to lower himself down. Mm. Superman then looks at Batman and goes, "You know, Bruce, I can just carry you when we do. <laughs> you don't have to use your grappling hook." And Batman just looks and goes, "Yeah, I know, but I hate it when you do that." <laughs> and that single line is all you need to know what their relationship is. And that single line is probably better than any line between them in like Batman versus Superman or Justice League. Yeah, I love the relationship as it's established in like the animated movies, and yeah. especially the Justice League, uh, like animated TV show. The one that uh, because... was like Justice League, then Justice League Unlimited, right? Yes. Yeah, and I love that one as well because there's a great Christmas episode where they're talking about the fact like Superman adores Christmas, and they like, have a Martian Manhunter going back um, home with him. It's like, oh, Superman's like, oh, no one should be alone on Christmas Day. Come home with me. And he goes and spends time with the Kents. Aww. And the Kents are talking about how, yeah, we had to wrap his presents in lead so he couldn't see through <laughs> his eye vision. And Superman looks at his parents and goes, you mean Santa wrapped my presents in lead? And they go, yep, Santa did it. And they look at each other. So Superman still believes in Santa. And, oh, God. And they have this like brief throwaway line where they're saying, um, uh, 
oh, who's watching the Watchtower today? Like, in the Justice League, like, Eye in the Sky. Went, oh, it's Batman. Batman always fights to have Watchtower duty on Christmas Day. <laughs> because he hates getting invited to stuff because Superman always invites him out. <laughs> and I just, I love that, that relationship. It's so fucking good. And it's like, just, it humanises like these almost mythical beings. Like the intro to that show is the one of them all stood out, like cast in shadow, yeah. like a Greek pantheon. And that oh, show yeah. does so much to humanise them, and all the animated shows do that. And like it just shows them as having like to cribble life from Stanley that these heroes have feet of clay. Like inside they are human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I love it so much. And there's only like moments like that in like comics, TV shows, books, films, and that with like if not superheroes, like very powerful characters doing a very human thing or having a very human experience that you just find so good <laughs> well I think the one like we often refer to is just watching like anime and having those moments where it's just oh watch these like superpower characters just deal with everyday life like watching Vegeta deal with just living with Bulma and kids yeah try to make an omelette yeah well that episode like, oh, where God. Vegeta tries to make an omelette and if you are not watched Dragon Ball Vegeta is a uh, basically a nigh godlike being by the end of the series yeah. He has power on, like, part with the gods, and but he still has to go home and, like, cook for his wife. And he's so superhumanly strong, he can't crack an egg properly. Yeah. He's, like, just seeing him struggle with that is so fun. And like, I like one where it's, um, it's, I think it's one of the films, or maybe it's, like, a, a reboot, or just an animated um, DC show, where Wonder Woman is mm. just outside a courthouse. And oh, people yeah. are, like, campaigning against Wonder Woman. Like, Wonder Woman's a bad example for little girls, because she dresses... Um, like inappropriately. Okay. And she just stood there, and a guy walks. Up, I think it might be one of the films. Cause if I recall correctly, he calls. I say you dress like a slut. Oh right. And Wonder Woman just looks directly at him, and just gets the lasso of truth out and wraps it around the guy and goes, "Why do you really hate my outfit?" And the guy responds, "I don't hate your outfit. I really like it. Sometimes when I'm at home, I put it on and walk around." <laughs> and Wonder Woman just asks him. And why do you do that? And he just looks at her and goes, because it makes me feel powerful. To which Wonder Woman responds, it makes me feel powerful too and flies off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just it's so good. Those little moments of just like, just humour and just, just human like interactions. Like they make these characters so much more likeable. I love it. Oh, you know what makes people likeable, Carl? Uh, What's that? Pissing in a jar and blowing people up. Yeah, that's great. I love that one. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> Like Lex Luthor, like super mega genius, pissing in a jar and labelling it peach tea. Yeah. Oh, how clever. Yeah. I don't get it. Because, the again, to go back to the animated um, DC stuff, like the just the Lex Luthor in that is so charming. Mm-hmm. Like I think I've talked before, like one of my absolute favourite Lex Luthor moments is in Justice League Unlimited, where it's, oh, Amazo the robot is coming back to kill Lex Luthor. Right, and the yeah. entire Justice League, the pantheon, every hero in the world is like, we don't know if we can actually stop Amazo because he's, he's too good. He's too strong. Yeah. And they even show you like every super, you've got Wonder Woman, Superman, all team up to try and stop him. And they take Lex Luthor, like, where should we hide? And Lex Luthor, don't worry, I know a place. And they turn up, I, I shit you not, a fucking barber shop. Okay. To which, like, one of the random hero, like, jobber heroes, they've got a scort on him, turns around and goes, well, to be honest, Luther, this is the last place I'd expect to find you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> just, I'm going to shit talk the smartest man in the world. <laughs> and just make fun of him for being bald. Oh, God. Yeah. I think, like, that's the weird thing is, 
I know Lex Luthor being bald, like, people might just think, well, he's a bald guy, does it matter? Yeah. I think it it's quite intrinsic to his character. Yeah, the fact that he's bald. He yeah, like, pa- there's a lot of moments where they, they actually bring it into, like, his personality and into the storyline. And then it's just like, nah, make him have, like, fucking Jesse Eisenberg curly hair. Yeah, well, the idea is, I think in early comics, um, he lost it due to an accident caused by Superman. Ah, okay, and yeah. In his initial like reason he dislikes Superman is because Superman made him bald. I'd be pissed off if somebody made me bald. Yeah, but I, I just love the idea that it's just because it's too differentiated from Superman. Yeah, yeah. Like in every conceivable way, even like visually, like um, like Superman wears like you know the big S on his chest. He stands very open, very proud, like the traditional Superman pose. The traditional Lex Luthor pose, him with his hands in his pocket, not hunched over, but hands in his pocket, closed off. He wears a suit all buttoned up, like he's the exact polar opposite to Superman in every conceivable way. Like he's defined by his intelligence and Superman's defined by his strength. Well, yeah, like even the colour scheming of like Lex Luthor always wears green to contrast like the gold, red and blue of Superman. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool and I love Lex Luthor's just design. I love that show because they got like Clancy Brown. Oh yeah. Like, the legendary Clancy Brown, like Mr. Krabs himself doing the voice. <laughs> and you can tell he's chewing the scenery in every... Um, scene that he appears in. Oh, you've got to love it. Uh, but, uh, that's what you want sometimes. Like, but he chooses the scenery in a believable way. He does, yeah. Yeah, it's like he's Hank Scorpio in it, but at the same time, you can still like he's still a believable, credible threat. And it's, um, like, it's like, oh, it's always amazing to me that, yeah, Lex Luthor left to his own devices is like when he's not trying to take down Superman, he actually is very beneficial to humankind. But only for selfish reasons, which again adds this level of nuance yeah. to his character that's really interesting. Similar where to he... kind of Doctor Doom, where it's like, yeah, he will be like a tyrannical ruler, but he's also a fucking like incredible benevolent god. So like, if he wants to, yeah, it's, it's like, a, yeah. And it, people who live under Doom live in an imperial peace. Where it's it's peace, but at the edge of a sword. Yeah, and like um, we can talk about that briefly because I, I like the idea again um, in the comics. Um, like it's a lot more nuanced and more depth because obviously they can. It's been going on for fifty years, but Doctor Doom is often portrayed like this crazy psychopathic villain in a metal mask mm-hmm. who fires lasers from his fingertips and sits on a flying throne, which is awesome. Yes. But like in the comics, it's like, oh yeah, despite the fact he is a well-known dickhead, and the fact he's called Doctor Doom and he has a metal face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like he's um, the leader of Latveria in a lot of the comics that he's in, which mm-hmm. means he has diplomatic immunity and stuff like that. And he goes to, like the UN in that outfit. Yeah. And I, again, I want to see if they ever make a film about it. I want him to just walk in. Oh yeah, and here's the delegate from Latveria. Don't explain it. So have him walk in in full outfit. Because um, there's that bit in the Wiki Weekends forum that we talked about where Captain America had to escort him as like a diplomat. And he's yeah. just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Because he's got diplomatic immunity and um, there's loads of stuff about the people of Latveria seem to genuinely like having Doctor Doom in charge. And they have a moment in one comic where a hero asks him, well, clearly this is all put on for show. These people don't genuinely love you. To which Doctor Doom responds like, I'm so smart, I've invented technology which I patent and license out to the rest of the world. That has made Latveria one of the richest, safest, nicest places to live on the planet there yeah. is no disease because I, my hospitals are so advanced they cure everything there is no crime <laughs> because my robotic doom bots stop all crime any 
uh, stop all crime as it happens. And not to mention, there's no want for crime. There's no want or need or desire to commit crime because everything is provided. The education level is like super high. Like, why would people not love me? They live in absolute prosperity. <laughs> because of Doctor Doom. Because yeah. Doom wills it. It's like, yeah, he's so good. Like, yeah, he's a tyrannical dickhead with a metal face. But at least he looks after his people. Yep. Oh, and I'd love to see that idea explored. I'd love it if we could get proper comic book Doctor Doom into like the MCU. I, I want it so much. I, I want full like Shakespearean villain Doom. Like this huge theatrical knobhead swanning around in, in, with a metal <laughs> face and a bright green cape firing lasers out of his fingertips. I want him to, like, like, rock up to Wakanda and just be like, I've got diplomatic immunity, can't do shit, mate. Yeah, like, get wrecked. um, So I think I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast and the videos, like, like, uh, text from superheroes. Oh, yeah. I really like um, their take on the characterization of heroes because it's very in line with what some of the animated shows do. And, like, the way they characterize Doom is so funny. (laughs) Um, In the interactive album, one that always sticks out is, um, say, supposed fictional text exchange between... Doctor Doom and, um, uh, what was it now? Um, Black Panther. Oh, right, okay, yeah. And it's just the thing of like, what? Uh, yeah, uh, Black Panther, I need some advice. Is that like, I'm not helping you. Why would like, uh, why, sorry, Doctor Doom messages Black Panther, I need some advice. Like, why would I offer you advice? We have nothing in common. He goes, well, we're both reclusive billionaires who run our own country. He goes, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you got a point. Continue. He's like, um, what do I do about the Fantastic Four repeatedly infringing upon my borders, and to which Black Panther says, well, I would go with, um, you know, some slow political uh, manoeuvring and, like, you know, work it through the courts. And Doctor Doom responds, yeah, I was just thinking of creating some Doom bots that would, like, you know, fly and laser them out of their headquarters in Manhattan. To which Black Panther responds, this is why you get the bad seat at the delegations, Victor. This is why you got the bad seat. Just the idea of just, like... um, Doctor Doom just emailing someone like, yo, I need some help. Yeah. And I like that um, it's like Black Panther, you know, good old Charles there, like, no, you've got to do it like the diplomatic way and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no one encroaches on your borders because you've got a fucking invisible country, you dickhead. Yeah. It's like, you kill people that come inside Wakanda. Fucking hell. Have a look. I'm gonna, I've got a couple of the ones of like Doctor Doom talking, so let's see if any. Ah, uh, right, like... okay. You're looking them up. I was just like, is Carl? Has Carl been like yeah. deleted from Discord again? So this is an exchange, Doctor Doom and Reed Richards. Again, go check out Text from Superheroes. Um, oh yeah, they're good. Really, really funny, and like the girl who runs it, Diana McCallum, um, huge big comic nerd. I remember from my crack days, wrote some of the best articles for Cracked. Oh, I think okay, she's cool. the reason. You know the classic Doctor Doom. Oh, sorry, the classic Lex Luthor of his stealing forty cakes. Uh, no. There was a very famous meme about Lex Luthor stealing 40 cakes, which comes from, uh, I think it's like the Marvel uh, Dictionary. Okay. Where it's based, it was a, a reference book that contains like superheroes or something like that. So like the superhero dictionary. So like she had a copy of that. It's very rare to track down, but that image is quite popular. And she wrote an entire article just highlighting the stupidest thing from it. <laughs> and it's like one of the funniest things I've ever read. I highly recommend people go check it out. But we have an exchange here, Dr. Doom and Reed Richards. So, uh, Reed Richards, so just wondering, where did you get your PhD? You never finished college after your face blew up. 
Doctor Doom responds, Latveria University. Is that the school you own and dean in the country that you dictate? Yes. Oh. Why? Just seems less than credible. Says, well, I may call myself Doctor, but at least I don't call my best friend thing. <laughs> he's, just like, he's like, just oh. I can 100% imagine Doctor Doom just saying that. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And it makes me so sad that, like, Okay, you know, Fantastic Four in, like, you know, the early 2000s um, with Chris Evans and, like, Jessica Alba. That mm-hmm. had a bit, a, a little bit of eccentricity to their Doctor Doom. But, again, he, he was just only a little bit there. And then, you know, we get Crash Test Dummy completely fucking mute dickhead in the new yeah. Fan Four Stick film. Um, that movie's so good, though. Because it's so fucking terrifying when Doctor Doom turns up. <laughs> like he turns up, the first thing he does is he blows up someone's head. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is, that's terrifying, but he has no character, he has no charisma. No. And it's like, god damn, how like have we doc- got such bland Doctor Dooms? Like, Doctor Doom should own the... Like he should walk into the room and, like, every eye is turned on him. He is charisma personified. He is the, the id made like human mm-hmm. he is all ego and he loves it like have you ever seen like the show black adder uh a long time ago yeah do you know the show i the character lord flashheart played by the late great rick mail um I, i'd have to like go back and watch it to jog my memory to be honest okay but... well his whole thing is that like, he literally kicks down the door to the set when he walks on the first time okay and the story behind the scenes goes that rick mail said i'll be on the show but I have to have all the best lines, and while I'm on camera, everyone needs to look at me. <laughs> and like his first thing, like, I think he did it in one take, and then he refused to do another one, even though he broke the set. That's oh, like God. basically, like, he literally kicks the door down. So he's supposed to walk in, but he kicked the door down. And it's like a flimsy TV set, so like the entire set wobbles and shakes. Yeah. And he's going so crazy that his costume falls apart and the mustache on his face falls off. <laughs> but the entire time he's there, like he owns the room. Like everybody is eating out of his hand. Like mm-hmm. you cannot take your eyes off him. Like, that's what Doctor Doom should be. Like his oh, introduction yeah. shouldn't be like it is in Fantastic Four. Like in a boardroom meeting, someone says his name. He yeah. should explode into the room on his flying throne. <laughs> And like, I am Doctor Doom. <laughs> the thing is, as well, like, I was really, like, I guess looking back, I'm quite upset about how little I knew about Doctor Doom because I watched that Fantastic Four film and was like, I guess he's just like a guy with a metal mask and whatever. And then, you know, later on in my life, I read up a bit about actual comic book Doctor Doom. And was like, oh, he's amazing. Oh yeah. my God, this guy's fucking incredible. He's so fun. Like, he's such a cool fucking character, and like, all the shit he does is great. Yeah. Oh, man. But instead, we just get, yeah, the blandness. Uh, I like this one as well. one more from Text from Superheroes. It's just one of those things where it's such a subtle dig that it could only have been written by like someone like um, um, Diana, where it's like she fucking knows these comics back to front. It's like such a subtle thing where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a text chain between the Justice League of America. Uh, we need some money to patch up the watchtower and toy sales are down. Any ideas from um, Green Arrow? To which Green Lantern responds, glow in the dark rings, and then Aquaman, I could endorse fish tanks. To which <laughs> to which Green Arrow responds, no, we're drowning in Aquaman merchandise. It doesn't sell. <laughs> it's just... 
It's so good. <laughs> it's like Batman you're constantly around children what do kids want Batman responds living parents <laughs> guys I, uh, Flash interjects guys I'm telling you catchphrase is the way to go how about JLA without delay Batman responds so far Flash's idea has been the best and I hope you all realise how sad that is <laughs> but it's just like that super casual dig of like no we've got, ple- we've got so much Aquaman merchandise it doesn't sell and uh, it from that line it builds it adds so much character of like you can imagine this is a conversation taking place in a world and that there is uh, they exist outside of this and I yeah. again I wholly endorse the website because they can they keep the um they keep the characterization they give to each character mm. throughout similar to um, what's it now how it should have ended oh but, yeah like, yeah it doesn't get as old as fast of the because I'm Batman yeah that's the thing is I think. I really enjoyed the how it should have ended for a while, and then it's just oh, okay, like it that joke pretty much go the same way. That joke got so old so fast. Yeah, well, it, you know, I'd encourage anyone that hasn't watched some of them, as popular as they are. I don't think anyone listening probably hasn't watched any, but mm. yeah, go go check out a few if you haven't. Uh, they, they are quite good but like there's but the a joke the running, does run thin fast yeah the running gag is oh batman's in it and he always just says like because i'm batman because it was around that time and it's like it's, it's a weird point in internet history where batman was just like the be all and end all of all superheroes i think it's just after the dark knight came out i was gonna say it's because like we were struggling for good uh comic book films at that time and then the nolan trilogy came out and everyone was just all Batman all the time. Like, Batman is the best. He can solve every problem. And, like, every internet forum about any sort of, like, thing to do with nerd culture was always, like, could Batman beat insert anybody? And it's like, yeah, Batman could beat anybody. And he's I mean, just riding the tail that of that. Oh, yeah. Because it was, at the end of the day, that was probably, I would argue, you know, and most people would agree, I guess, that that was the first film that was, like, a superhero slash comic book film that was just a fantastic film. Yeah. And, like, you know, it won Oscars and stuff, or got, at the very least, got nominated for a lot. And it's like, yeah, you know, those performances and those characters were so good in The Dark Knight, and the story was great. It's the first one that, like, you could show to someone that wasn't a fan of Batman, and they'd be like, oh, this is a really good film, though. Yeah. And it's just, like, a shame that um, Heath Ledger threw his back out, carrying that entire film. Yeah, because that that is a film carried by one performance, and it's his, and it's fucking incredible. And like, it is. I just love every now and again because I watch that film. I think once a year, mm. um, and I think like um, it's one of the first films I ever watched on Blu-ray, and okay, it convinced yeah. me that Blu-ray is totally a thing. Like, because I was like, oh, DVDs are fine. Do you really need like to have it in slightly crisper definition? Yeah, and then a friend of mine had the Batman. Dark Knight Blu-ray on a massive like 50-inch TV, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see that I can see the benefit of this. And every now and again, I'll watch it, and I'll just like just go watch some scenes from Suicide Squad. Oh god! And I'll just look at Jared Leto, just hissing and making weird cat noises. Oh no, go away, fuck you, Siri! <laughs> Fuck's sake! Just... Siri heard Jared Leto cat noises and was like, yes. Now's my time. <laughs> And I just think, like, how did we go from this... Like, even the Jack Nicholson one. 
Yeah, like, and like the Jack Nicholson one is fantastic in a very different way because it's so cartoony. Yeah, it's closer to yeah, it's close to the original comic book um, uh, like origins of the character. Yeah, um, and like oh, there's a couple God. of like famous stories from that era though. Like, cause I think a lot of those Tim Burton movies they were really well cast. Like Jim Carrey as the Riddler is potentially one of the greatest casting choices for but a superhero Carl. movie ever. Is except Tommy Lee for, Jones as Two Face one of the worst at the except, same time? Oh, I thought you were going to say except for Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Oh, I love Danny DeVito. Ex- as the yeah, Penguin. and then he's uh, incredible. Uh, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, which a lot of people don't like because Mr. Freeze is supposed to be—he's actually one of the uh, like best characters. I feel, but he's one of the like yeah best written and I guess most like somber character. In uh, in Batman's Rogue Gallery, like he's so hammed up in that film, he's not but even like, the, the same character. Here's the I'm I'm pretty sure that the reason people think about Mister Freeze, it's the very famous Batman animated TV show episode about him, which, if I remember correctly, was released after that movie. We'd have to do some double checking on that so we can. Like, okay, so reason- maybe you have a quick look up of that. But yeah, if it, people don't know. Um, the backstory, at least nowadays... Heart, so the episode but, is called Heart of Ice. Yeah, so the backstory basically goes over the reason that he's Mr. Freeze. Which is his wife has an awful disease and he goes back in. So, And what's the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's Batman Forever, isn't it? Uh, no, Batman Forever is um, the Riddler one. Batman and okay. Robin is the one with Batman and Arnold Robin. Schwarzenegger. There we go. So Batman and Robin, Mr. Freeze. Do, 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 do. So we go. So it's Batman and Robin the film. So Heart of Ice is like it's like regards like one of the greatest animated pieces of animation ever because it's oh, so yeah, good. Yeah. That was nineteen ninety two, and this oh nineteen ninety seven. So oh, so yeah, that show had come out. That was complete. I was talking out my ass completely. Okay. So that episode had come out, and like the idea of Mister Freeze being like a, a very um, uh, like emotional character and probably one of the best episodes. A cartoon ever because it's like that really say that about half of the fucking Batman animated TV series oh yeah there was a great thing like Warner Bros put out of just here's a making of documentary about it really I've never seen that it's uh, Warner Bros put out for free um, a documentary about the making of Batman the animated series oh man talking about like and one of the things they mentioned is like oh yeah um, we really really wanted to make this a show that adults could watch we wanted to tell stories and you can tell yeah yeah, and that Mr. Freeze one where it's like, is it the shot of him just at the end, just listening to the music box of his wife? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And then you've got Batman just stare. It's like, oh, my, it's so fucking good. We are, okay, so that was my ass. So people don't like the uh, Mr. Freeze in the film because it deviates so heavily from that. Even if you just go based on his characterization in the comics, ignoring that episode that like adds so much um, depth to his like character. Like, he's yeah. a hyper-intelligent supervillain. Mm-hmm. And in that film, he's just Arnold Schwarzenegger saying snow puns, but I kind of love that. The thing is, at the time, I didn't like those as a kid. didn't like those films. Even as a kid, I didn't really enjoy them. Like, the, it was cool because, oh, look, it's Batman and Robin, but, you know, for, past that point, it was like, eh, they're fine. And then, um, yeah, up until the point, even when The Dark Knight was out, it's like, oh, God, those films are trash. But now looking back and going, I know these films are bad, but watching them as a hilariously bad film is just something I love to do every now and then. 
Yeah, and there's also as well, like the one saving grace of them is uh, let's double check. Other than the Joel, back credit card. Yeah, the back credit card. Joel Schumacher, uh, he said, like, um, like following Tim Burton's one, it's like, yeah, Tim Burton had his own take on it and he based his more on like uh, the comics. I based mine on the Adam West TV series. Yeah, yeah. So he tried and to when, make it more campy like that. And when you have that in mind, you actually... Uh, you, I, I found a new appreciation for the film. Yeah. All the stuff people criticise, oh, it's so stupid. The back credit card. It's like, yeah, but you can 100% imagine that in the Adam West series. Yeah, with the shark repellent spray and stuff like that. Yeah, and it'd be, when you find out and realise, oh, it's a, it's a direct homage that he was trying to tell a different song, because obviously Tim Burton knocked it out of the park with his. He did, yeah. Uh, why would I try and ape what he did and just do it worse? So let's do my own thing, and let's go a different take on that on the Adam West one, which is still... Um, warmly received and fondly remembered, or he hoped at least at the time. Yeah, but, uh, and maybe the the reasoning would be because the films came out in like a similar time period and a similar lineage. I, I think as well they were considered sequels, weren't they? I think so. The, the, the canon of those is really strange, but... Yeah, it, because like, you keep getting different actors in for Batman and stuff, but I think it would have been better if they had a more clear separation, because... The art style um, and like the kind of design of Gotham and the world was still very in line with the um, Burton aesthetic, like the yeah. Art Deco Burton aspect aesthetic, yeah. And it was like because they felt so very similar in terms of like tone and aesthetic in terms of the world that they're in. The yeah. fact that they were so campy feels really out of place. Yeah, well, it's, um, I, I did find the newer fan page when I saw the interview with Josh. He, he's really yeah, apologetic for what he said. I tried to do something different because obviously I, what had been done before was basically flawless. So I thought, oh, let's ref it. And he just obviously didn't get the feeling of culture at the time right. Where yeah. um, like it was the 90s. So that's like, you know, the, the age of edge. Yes. People weren't nostalgic for that weird campy Batman yet. Whereas they are now. Yeah, they Whereas were ready for like fun. the Matrix to happen with the fucking black trench coats and the sunglasses. Yeah, like, the age of Edge was upon us, and yeah. um, like there was no room in culture for dumb nostalgia like that. But you fast, I reckon though, if you fast forward a couple years, if they made a movie like that now, people lean into it. People like it. I think so, and yeah, I think if he maybe separated them more from the Burton films, they might have had a bit more success. But going back and just watching, yeah, Jim Carrey, Hamilton, the Riddler's just great. Yeah, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger. Again, he's not a great Mr. Freeze, but he is a great campy villain. And yeah, his puns are so bad that they are, again, amazing. Yeah, they are 1960s era Batman worthy. Yeah. Which is when you find out, oh, what Mr. Freeze shouldn't be saying what killed the dinosaurs, the Ice Age. <laughs> but you can 100% imagine that in the 1960s Batman series, which is supposed to be a reference. It's like, oh, I get it now. But it just wasn't the time. It you wasn't. didn't get... You didn't gauge public um, uh, opinion just quite right, and it fell flat. But I adore the back credit card. I do, and I love I, it. I will, like, you know, I reiterate, defend the back credit card. I, I will defend the campiness, but I still think they're bad films. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're fun well, the, to watch, but they are not good movies. Yeah, I just fucking love that one. The bad credit card. And the bad never leave, oh, Yeah, the Never leave home without it, Lucas. Never leave home without <laughs> it. So it's good. amazing to me, though, that. Like, what did Bruce Wayne give him that credit card? Like, yeah. who gave him it? That's what I want to know. Or well, does a joke, Batman have it? a bank? It's, it's supposed to be a joke. You're not supposed to overthink it. I know, it. I know, I know. And it's one of those things well where I just think like, it fell so flat. And it's one of those movies that people... Like, it's 
I, I hate to say they misunderstood it, but at the very least, they misread what the intention was. Where people say, it's stupid that Batman has a bat credit card. It's like, Batman as an idea is very stupid. He's a man who dresses like a bat and beats yeah. up criminals. The idea is inherently silly. And this is a sillier take on that mythos. It's just like, oh, And honestly. then, I will say, you know, as much as they are leaning into that campiness, we still get characters like Bane that were just completely ruined. Yeah. Well, Bane like, is the weird one because he's almost... Like, Tom Hardy Bane. I don't like Tom Hardy Bane. The Not only thing I like no. about... The only thing I like, his design is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, like Tom Hardy, to his credit, was buff, but like Bane is like superhumanly so. Uh, but like yep. the fact you can't understand a word he's saying <laughs> is really weird because you have like um, in those earlier Batman movies, it's like just basically he's just a raging, rampaging monster. Yeah, um, but in the comic books, he is meant to be yeah much buffer, but also much more intelligent. Yeah, he's one of the smartest men in the world, and he's the the famous in the comics for not only breaking Batman's spine, like that very famous image of him, um, putting Batman over his knee. He also yep. is the first person ever to deduce Batman's identity. Oh, I didn't realise he was the first one. Yep. He's the first person to do it. And it's really stupid when you think about that. Like, how did nobody know Yeah, like, the reclusive billionaire who like lives in the giant castle? Like, You look at Batman and you see him driving around in a tank. Mm. And you think, who can afford to own that tank? Well, it's... um. In The Dark Knight Rises, one thing I do like about it is that, yeah, Bane very easily susses out and is just, look, mate, the schematics to where your fucking, like, cave is, where you keep your cars, like, you keep your bat tank right on top of these, like, giant caves in the sewers. The thing that I don't get is, though, um, at that film, like, they try to go for the more grounded, realistic uh, take on Batman. It's like, so Batman doesn't have a stupid Batmobile anymore. He has what was going to be a new kind of tank for the US military. Yeah. And Lucius Fox um, like plainly states this was something we pitched to the government, they turned it down. Because it was uh, like, I think they they excuse it by saying it was too advanced and expensive. Yeah, and then Batman says the film's like, does it come in black? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and then he proceeds to drive around Gotham City in it. In this piece of technology the government would clearly be aware of because... Um, because Wayne Enterprises, in secret or not, pitched it to them. So somewhere there is a paper trail of that thing existing, even if it was like done in secret because it's like, you know, advanced military hardware. That's not technically supposed to exist. But someone somewhere in the government knows about the Tumblr. They know it's a thing. They would recognise it and they know that it's Wayne Tech. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's like that weird thing of like, oh, to arouse suspicion, we're going to order 50,000 Batwings. It's like Wayne Enterprise <laughs> made, like, uh, Batarang, sorry. He, Wayne Enterprise has made an order for, like, 50,000 Batarangs. And it's like, uh... Yeah, I think it's specifically, like, the cowl or something like that, where he orders yeah. 50,000 cowls and they disguise it as, like, oh, it's military um, uh, surplus. Because, obviously, he's wearing, basically, his repurposed, like, military yeah, outfits. Yeah. And stuff like that, but it's like... You're still walking around in stuff your company owns patents on. Surely people are going to at some point put two and two. And it always confuses that like, no one ever put two and two together. Like The Tumblr is a piece of technology wholly owned by Wayne Tech. Like, surely someone in the government, when they heard, there's a guy driving around Gotham. Like, imagine in the real world where suddenly, out of nowhere, starting tomorrow, a guy started driving around New York City in a hyper-advanced Lamborghini tank. Well, imagine, yeah, like, 
say for example, fucking Tesla had shown off this super tank that was meant to like go into space or some shit, and then all of a sudden a guy in a mask was driving one around like yeah New York or something. It's like mm. shooting criminals and beating them up. Yeah, I wonder like, who that if... guy is. It's like surely that comes to the attention of the government because maybe if, it, if he was just being Batman and beating up criminals. That's never going to get on anyone's radar. Like some, like maybe um, yeah, yeah. it reached high enough to reach Commissioner Gordon, for example. Like he's making police look bad, or he's roughing up like you know high-ranking criminals. Maybe he's like messes up an internal investigations operation or like an undercover thing. Yeah. But when you're driving around in a tank, that's going to arouse the suspicion of like you know someone in the government because that's not something they really want regular people doing. And I guess you could write it off as like, oh, maybe Batman stole it from Wayne Tech or something. But but then why it, would they not report the theft of this yeah, multi-billion exactly. dollar piece of military hardware? And then in the Dark Knight, I guess they tried to like, you know, point out the silliness of it by having that guy who's like, look, I took one look at our numbers, and why are we financing all this fucking R and D and weird purchases? That's that not I going fucking anywhere. Know who Batman is. And that's one of those things in that series that's like a thread they never pulled. Mm. Where I think I'm gonna double check what the name of that character is right now. Um, okay, yeah, is, it's the Dark Knight, isn't it? I it is to... in the Dark Knight, yeah, because uh, obviously Joker puts a bounty on him essentially. Yeah. So again, a little moment I love because it's like the Joker doesn't want anyone to know who the Batman is because he just wants like fucking fun. Yeah, so what it is it's Coleman Reese uh, is the name yeah. of that character. Uh, but here's the thing, though. So he's actually... And what it is is... Um, so he's Coleman Reese is the name of the character. There's a fan theory that he might be the Riddler because when you say his name... Yeah. Uh, it's Mr. Reese. As in yes. Mr. Reese. I remember that, that explain though, yeah. why he's smart enough to figure it out because obviously he sees it as a puzzle to be solved. Mm-hmm. And he even mentions that, oh, yeah, it's... He, Anyone could figure this out. It's easy. It's trivial for a guy like me. Yeah, yeah. And that was the thing, like, oh, maybe it was the Riddler. It's a thread they never really explored. So obviously, like, just um, one, Heath Ledger knocked it out of the park until he fucking died. Yeah, so that's <laughs> the thing is, like, obviously, they then teased the Joker being in the third film, and unfortunately, like, Heath Ledger died in between the films. But, yeah, yeah, they kind of had to hit the reset button on the third film. Mm-hmm. And just, just go shame, with Bane but... instead, but, yeah. So I'm just now going to take out, uh, take a quick toilet break, and we can close off with some more dumb stuff. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, right. Back in a sec. So I apologise for that, but I have had a nice big mug of coffee during this conversation. And as you all know, <laughs> coffee makes you pee. Look it up; it's a real scientific fact. It's a diuretic, yeah. It is. Yes, that's the correct term. Uh, I forgot what it was, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> and the just before we move on, I want to mention though. Is that conversation that happens between uh, Reese and Fox one of the most just like no nonsense like are you an idiot? Yeah. Speeches ever of are you seriously accusing the richest, most powerful man in the city of also being a vigilante who dresses like a bat and beats <laughs> criminals half to death with his bare hands? And you're going to try and blackmail this person. And he just like, <laughs> that look on his face as he realises, oh shit, I think I might be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, what am I doing now? 
It's also as well because when I looked up his name, um, it comes up. It's on the the Batman wiki. There's general information about him. It's that like, real name: Coleman Reese. Alignment: neutral. Affiliation: um, Wayne Enterprises. Characteristics: materialistic. No loyalty. <laughs> he has no loyalty to anyone but money. But my money, though, oh, it's like, are you, are you really threatening Batman right now? That's a that's a bold move, isn't it? It is. Are you really going to say, I'm going to blackmail a guy who beats up criminals with his bare hands and he's also a billionaire? Well, I mean, that's the thing is, even if you just said, are you going to try and blackmail Bruce Wayne, the most powerful and influential man in this entire fucking like city slash maybe world? It's one of those things as well, though, where it's a really badass line when you're a fan of Batman. You're like, yeah, but then you realise how terrifying that actually is of like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to accuse this billionaire of committing crimes? Are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, when you put it into, like, real-world context, it's like, oh, God, no, that's, like, fucking white privilege right there, Keep in mind as well, the thing that Bruce Wayne is doing is, one, embezzling billions of dollars to fund a vigilante crime spree against (laughs) criminals and beat them up and, like, without due process. Yep. Like, imagine if, like, for example, we found out that Elon Musk, because he's the one I can most believe would do something like that, um, <laughs> was funneling millions and millions of dollars from Tesla um, into, like, funding of building himself a suit to beat up homeless people who rob stores. Yeah. And how bad that storyline would be. Because <laughs> that, that great? you find out, oh, he's actually spent years, like, threatening and paying off employees to not rat him out. To not rat him out. So he can continue beating up homeless people. (laughs) Because I think about it, like, crime is a thing mostly committed out of desperation. Yeah, for the most part, like, yeah. Like, people who, like, commit crimes, generally it's because this is something they don't have. Like, uh, no one goes and holds up a liquor store because, like, you know, their life's going great. Clearly something has gone wrong that's led him on that path. Mm-hmm. And then imagine like you're in that world, you're in this desperate situation where I've got nothing, I can't provide for my family, I've got to resort to crime. And then out of nowhere, a man dresses as a bat, comes in, kicks you in the back of the head so hard it like shatters your orbitals, yeah. breaks your arm, leaves you like um, with blood loss and like traumatic brain injury in the street in a country where there's no healthcare. Oh God. And then you turn on the news and you find out it was a billionaire. Yeah. And, it's and like, at any oh, point, man. he could have eradicated the system that resulted in you having to make that choice by just investing in like public education. Well, that's the thing. is You oh. actually don't need Batman to solve Gotham's problems. You need Bruce Wayne. You do, yeah. And they mention that multiple times. Yeah. And it's it's like, like, oh, so you don't need to dress up as a psychopath bat every night and beat the shit off people and put yourself and others at risk. All you need to do is take that pile of gold that you're sitting on and fucking distribute the wealth a bit, Bruce. Yeah, or run for mayor. Yeah. But if you if you really have just like completely um, uh, like good intentions, run for mayor. And but obviously, apparently... like they go through that in the Dark Knight, and it's like Batman. Well, Bruce Wayne is there talking to Harvey Dent. He's like, "Look, you're a much better man than I am. Like that's why I need you to become mayor before he obviously becomes fucking Two Face." Yeah. And it's like, blame all these crimes on Batman. Yeah, and it's like, Bruce Wayne admits to himself, like, I'm not a good person. 
I couldn't run for mayor. I need you too. But I love that bit though, where it's like, um, you who do we blame the murders of all these people on? It's like because Har- you can't blame it on Harvey Dent because like, he besmirches his image and it'll undo everything he did and all those people that he re- right, you know uh, managed to get in prison. Uh, in that big court case scene. Yeah. And Batman's like, blame it on Batman instead of blame it on the Joker. <laughs> Why is it, like, like, Batman, you already, like, established that you are not above committing crimes to get your own ends. And blaming someone else is clearly not an issue. Blame it on the fucking Joker. Like, yeah, why not blame and the it on fact the... that, like, oh my God, look at all of the things the Joker did, proving himself to be a massive danger to Gotham and a psychopath. Yeah, why not blame it on the guy who's been publicly announcing on the news that he's going to murder people? Yeah, but Batman's like, no, I must take the the sacrificial bullet. Because, you know what? Batman's inherently a selfish character, where he does it for himself. Like He wants to make that sacrifice so he can know in his head that only I could have done it. And there's like a load of interest of that. But we could talk about the Dark Knight, though, all the the neat little details that um, you'd notice on a rewatch. And one that I like is... um, do you know that Joker makes that whole speech about I'm I'm a man without a plan. I'm a dog chasing a car. Yeah. That great speech where he talks about I, I'm just I'm the I'm an agent of chaos. I'm Gotham's reckoning. Uh, there's a part later in the film where he's always giving the speech over the tannoys to the two people or the two yeah. the two yeah, boats. Yeah. Um, it's subtle because obviously it's shot it's shot in darkness. But you'll look and you'll if you look at um, the Joker, he's reading from a script. Right, and he actually yeah, has everything yeah. meticulously planned out, and then obviously it's like, yeah, all of his plans require like strict timing and like um, foresight, and he's like, oh, he's not an agent of chaos; he's a complete hypocrite. Well, look Every, at the, everything um, the he bank does is heist. Out. It's the most meticulously planned out bank heist that's perfectly timed in every way. But then he talks about how, no, I'm just an agent of chaos. I'm here to sow discord of the people of Gotham. But I, I just, think I that speech is there, not. For himself, it's there for Harvey Dent. Like Maybe. he doesn't make that spe- speech, thinking to himself, "I am an agent of chaos." I think he needs to say that to Harvey Dent to throw him like into that mental state. Yeah, because he, he'll say anything to get a reaction. He just wants to see the world burn. But like, there's all those, there's little things of like that way. He's reading from a script. It's like, oh yeah, so the guy who talks about like you don't need a plan, he's reading from a script. He and has then you've the got... most effective plans multiple times throughout the entire fucking movie. Yeah. And then you have just that weird speech from Alfred where he advocates, yeah, but he like, oh, there's a thief. It was just, oh, yeah, like, yeah, where he yeah, says, yeah. like, some men just want to watch the world burn. He was, the, a thief was throwing away the jewels that he stole. How'd you catch him? We burnt the entire forest down. So that's not good advice. Yeah, that's that was terrible a, advice. Alfred not on his best day there. <laughs> It's like already the DC universe establishing father and like parental figures giving shit advice to their superhero um, uh, offspring. Carl, that was just foreshadowing for the next like the DCEU. Like that's so, I remember that speech. It's a good speech, and like yeah. you know that, that amazing like moment of like uh, we burnt the forest down. But like when you think about it in the context, that's an awful bit of advice. Like how do we catch this psychopath? Burn everything. So mm-hmm. There are innocent people living there. There are consequences to doing this. No, just nuke it all. Fuck it. Oh, he's so good. Oh, and um, I don't know, like, if you're much of a fan of Christopher Nolan films in general. Okay, to a degree. I'm more a fan of just films. I don't follow many directors. That's no, but, like, I uh, recently, like, not particularly for any reason, but I just rewatched The Prestige. 
Uh, see, I've heard that's good. I've never seen that one. You've never seen I'm, it. Yeah, I would I'm, recommend I'm aware, it. I'm aware of the concept where, isn't it where, Nicola, uh, you can obviously correct me at any point here, but they yeah. invent a cloning machine. Uh, essentially, yeah. And rather than use it for anything else, because cloning is like world change technology, he used it to become a magician. Yeah. Am I right in that? That that is part of the film, yeah. Yeah, okay. I thought he's like, oh, he invents a cloning machine. What does he do with this newfangled world change technology? Oh, he be- becomes a magician. And <laughs> that risk. Yeah, I, I guess. Like, you've got to respect that. Like, yeah. the, he's he's so so passionate about becoming a magician. It's like, fuck saving the world. I'm gonna have the best trick. Yeah, I figured out a way to perfectly clone human beings. And then doesn't he... The thing is that he drowns his own clones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That he drowns his own clones. Like, So if you want to be that harsh about it, like, in the modern day, like, you could use that for just, like, you know, perfect organ transplants and all that sort of shit. Yeah, you could, yeah. Yeah, that'd be like... The, obviously, the ethics of it are, um, like, thrown out the window here. But if oh, you drown... God, yeah, that would be morally horrifying to create people just to harvest their organs. But if you're drowning your own clones for the sake of a single magic trick, I don't think you're yeah, going to give a shit about I, ethics anymore. That's the thing. I think at that point, his morals have probably well and truly disappeared. The only thing I ever know I know about that film is um, from a great interview with Nolan about how he casts David Bowie as Tesla. Oh, okay, yeah. And you have that amazing shot of um, Bowie walking across the Tesla coil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is something apparently Tesla would do in real life. Mm. In real life, Tesla would do that because he knew that it wouldn't hurt him. Um, So what he'd do is sometimes he'd just sit next to his Tesla coil reading a book. (laughs) And just just for the image of him reading a book by the light of his lightning machine. And the story goes, Christopher Nolan basically begged David Bowie to be in the film. And he said, but it's such a small role. Couldn't anyone do it? Well, anyone could do the role, but Nikola Tesla is such an important man in history we need someone who's just as important today to play him and David was like look stop kissing my ass I'll fucking do it if you leave me alone <laughs> it's like you don't need to kiss me ass I just don't want to like fly all the way to America for a 30 second cameo but if it's that important to you I'll do it if it'll shut you up yeah because I was going to say I do remember hearing that like David Bowie just didn't want to be part of the film and then kind of like found out about the role and was just like yeah okay yeah it was the thing of like Nolan said I won't put him in the film if you don't play him is that fine if you're going to be such a drama queen about it? I guess I'll do it. <laughs> but, oh, God. Like, yeah. So Meanwhile, like, he was absolutely fine just being dickhead David Bowie on an episode of Extras. It's like, come on, man. Oh, he's so good. Like, he could do what he wants, though, couldn't he? He can't. He, he, you know what? David Bowie could have done whatever the fuck he wanted and I would have celebrated it properly. Because he's David Bowie. You know, with like, an obvious, like, extent. Like, but, don't be a fucking criminal or some shit. Yeah, Become Bat- if we become Batman now, then we'd have we'd be confused. We'd be at very least conflicted. I mean, but, I'm not gonna lie. If a celebrity turned around and became like Iron Man or Batman, I'd have to respect it. Just for like the hustle, the absolute balls. Like I would stop just dunking on Elon Musk if he turned around and was like, "Yeah, I built a fucking Iron Man suit. I'm gonna go be a superhero." Yeah, well, the only thing I know about The Prestige is an amazing fan name post. It's uh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, yes? Uh, yes, yeah, it is. And yeah. it's Christian Bale clones himself to fight Hugh Jackman. And don't forget, it's a Christopher Nolan film, so like Michael Caine's got to be there. Yeah, and the reason I know about this film is I am aware of the basic plot. I'm aware of like, that story about how David Bowie got cast. But I'm also aware of this legendary fan poster 
which I believe was made for a cracked Photoshop contest. Okay. And I don't even think it won, but it spread across the internet. And it's one of those posts where it look, it's amazing conceptually and just visually, but you know they could never do it because, and for reasons you'll see right now. Oh, Carl sent me the picture. How fucking good a poster is that? <laughs> is like describe it to people, Lucas. Um. So essentially, it's just like a a relatively blank poster, quite it's plain. Pretty, it's, it's possibly got, one. Yeah. It's just got um, you know, the prestige in quite plain font at the top, and then just like a mirror image of like two Batmen. Uh, facing each other with like yellow down the middle to make a picture of Wolverine. Yeah. And then at the bottom is just the credits. And it's like left to right, Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale. Yeah. Oh, that is so just simple and effective. And like I said, I believe that originated in a cracked Photoshop contest and it didn't even win. Well, it may have won, but like the, I think the winner got like $50, but... That's one of those things that spread all over the fucking internet just for how fucking good an idea it is. That's so and how clever. It's so... But obviously they could never do it because obviously it's two copyrighted characters from rival companies. Exactly, yeah. So you're never, ever going to get that pulled, but it's so fucking good. It reminds me a little bit, I think we talked before... I'm so annoyed about that these. wasn't, like, in the marketing material now. It's so good, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. So simple, so clean, really good. Like, just Google um, Prestige Fan Post if you don't want to know what I'm talking about. But, um... Reminds me a little bit of that. Oh, God, what was I going to say now? Damn, it keeps happening today. Oh, God, Carl keeps brain farting all over the place. I do, I'm brain farting just all up in this joint. I'm completely forgetting what I was going to say. Because it was something else about a, like a fan-made poster. I mean, I'm not going to lie, Carl. I can't answer this one for you. Yeah, it's fine. So I guess we'll move on. We'll go to the other thing I wanted to mention, which is um, like the concept introduced in the prestige of um, like cloning. So why is it like any reason you watch the film or you just want to talk about it? Uh, so I think I heard on like a podcast or something that someone was like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch The Prestige. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm going to watch The Prestige too. Fuck it. And then I, I just sat down and watched it one night and was like, I really fucking enjoy this film. And I, I'd already seen it, but yeah, I'd recommend it. Okay. Well, it's, um, I just want to talk briefly about the ethics of cloning yourself. Okay. This is, a, this is a, something I've. Uh, it's a concept in science fiction. Uh, it's a popular one. Very the idea popular, of cloning yeah. yourself. Um, there's multiple um, iterations of what you can do to clone yourself. Um, it was like the, the film The Sixth Day. Not a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a, sci- it's a science fiction film. Arnold Schwarzenegger, dumb action movie, and the concept there one. is um, we find a way to grow blank humans. Okay. Like basically blank cloned humans, and then what we do is we take your DNA and we take a snapshot of your mind, and we just implant that onto the clone, and that clone is you. And we have also, but the thing is though, it's not, and this is something I've I, you rarely see addressed in stuff like in the thing like the when they clone someone. Oh, look, my husband's back, my daughter's back. Like you've cloned like yeah. they're back. Like, yeah. But they're not because. Like, let's say right now that I died. Mm. Like, I just had a heart attack right now, and you some, somehow managed to clone me at the exact moment I died. So yeah. all the same memories, all the same experiences, except for the fact, obviously, I died. Like, I'm still dead. Yeah. This is just a new instance of me that has all the same experience and knowledge. Like, it's like, 
And I don't get it when you see like, which is fair enough, but obviously to everyone except me, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Because obviously you're not going to notice the difference and the clone's not going to know the difference. But what I don't get is when you see in fiction like this is like rich people who put their money and stock into it. Like you don't get to live forever. Just a different version of you with all the same memories does. Like you still die. You still cease to exist. True. Yeah. Yeah. And I never understand like whether it doesn't get addressed or like with how selfish billionaires are. What even if the person that they're giving their wealth and power to is ostensibly themselves, the fact that it's not their version of themselves, why would they do that? Yeah, I guess so. And I thought you were gonna go down a different route of like, um, because depending on what you know, um, fiction you're going down of how mm. the clones are made and stuff. Some of it is, look, they will, like, be you as you are now, but they won't, like, have your memories necessarily. So they won't be, like, you. They will just be, like, genetically you. And kind of, that kind of different state of, mm. well, yeah, in that one moment, they have the same personality and thought as you do, but they don't have those memories to pull back on. Maybe, yeah. That's like another concept. And then the That's other a is, different uh, version of it, yeah. If you clone yourself, like from the instant that clone like comes into existence, it mm-hmm. becomes a um, like the philosophical argument that he's a new person because their experience is going to deviate even as slight as they are from your own, which makes their personality distinct. Exactly, yeah. And it's similar mm-hmm. to like, I guess, making an identical twin of yourself at the, you know whatever age you get cloned rather than at birth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, they're genetically the same from that point. Yeah, you're going to splinter and have different experiences. Like, the sixth day is the best example of this because, like, they all throughout the film, it's like, oh, when someone dies, like, they secretly clone them yeah. and bring them back to life. And, like, the guy who owns the company, he's already died and brought back. And he's talking about how, like, yeah, I can continue my legacy with doing this. And then he's dying and he goes to clone himself. Hmm. And while he's sat there, his clone, like, gets out of the tank and comes over while he's dying and takes his stuff. Oh, God. And he's looking at his clones like, why are you doing this? And he goes, well, it's mine, isn't it? And he has this moment of realisation that I'm dying and someone who is not me is going to be me. Yeah, they're taking over. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm not coming back to life. Just another version of me is going to take over what I've done and I'm still going to be dead. Yeah, yeah. And that's something I've only ever seen addressed in that film. When like just and it's all addressed like the just the sheer look of panic on the guy's face as he's brought like face to face with his <laughs> own self and he realizes, Oh fuck, I'm still dying. Well it's looking it, in a mirror, isn't it? Of like yeah. that's not me, it just looks like me. Yeah, it just looks like me, but it's people are gonna think it's me. And that's scary and I, I love that concept. And there's another one where it's teleportation where um, teleportation doesn't work. Right, yeah. Uh, in anything, and there's, and I don't think I've ever seen this addressed in any media that I've watched, where um, teleportation uh, is always characterised as being like sending a letter. So, for mm-hmm. example, let's say you take, so you take a letter, and it's the same physical letter is sent from one location to the other. Yeah. However, the way it actually works, like you know, discounting like the weird pseudo made-up science they use to explain it is, it's more akin to a fax machine where they take a part of your body transport it via whatever means they can, and then rebuild it at the other end. Mm-hmm. So basically, they're just taking you, killing you, and then making, again, a perfect clone at the other end with all the same experiences. 
Yeah. Which means that like, most teleporters, the moment you step into it, you die. And somebody else has just got the exact same from the instant you stepped in, comes out the other end. And that's the thing is you can argue that, yeah, that is teleportation because, again, like the same person's coming out the other end, but it's not the same person. Like It's, it's a new version you. of the exact same person. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's where the, I guess, like, um, philosophical arguments come into it of do you treat that person as if they were a new person or is it just fuck it, they move from one place to another? Well, no, that's the thing everyone, all fiction always treats as it's the same person walking out where from the perspective of the person who steps into a teleporter, it is you walk in and there is just instant blackness and you cease to exist. And then obviously your clone wakes up at the other end. And hasn't been so, yeah. yeah. and he's none the wiser that, that just happened. But from the perspective of the person who's stepping in there, it's like you die, technically. You're dead. Same with the clone thing. Mm-hmm. Like you you're still dead, but other people treat it like oh man, and you never see it dressed in fiction. Uh no you don't. And I thought like you were gonna say uh, that teleportation is like never gonna work because of the way that it works of people have broke down the amount of like data you would have to transfer instantly. Oh yeah, it's... from one place to another, and it's like nigh on theoretically impossible. Like it's just to that point where we would have to perfectly transmit an incalculable amount of data from one place to another instantly, and then reform it in the exact same way it came. It's like oh god, like so yeah. Even taking aside the the questions of what happens when you are teleported, like at least. As far as humans are concerned, we don't think it's ever even possible. Yeah, and even the way you described it then, it's still, you're still, um, uh, you're taking your apart and putting it back together. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it's just, uh, I've always enjoyed that concept and I spend so much time thinking about this evidently. So I think we should we should end it there because I could talk about this shit all fucking day and I'll get more incoherent as I go along and I'll start to be like um, that shot of Charlie Day. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Just like, here's how it works. Here's where, the, here's where you stepped into a teleporter and here's the moment your family thought... That, uh, no, so no. So, Carl, there. I will just want to ask. I presume then, from your explanation, you would not want to be, uh, like, cloned slash teleported. Uh, you can clone me, but my clone has got to fight me when I'm alive. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. Oh, God. So That's they can just, beat me. Yeah. Clearly, they're superior version of me. That's they true. Have it. <laughs> but I, I hope that guy knows. I'm going to kick him in the fucking nuts. <laughs> Which he does now. Called, he's, he knows because he's going to kick you in the nose. Which he does now because I've just said it. Thereby implanting that knowledge. It's like, oh no, no, we can't. I'll do it. I'll be here all day. So, Lucas, <laughs> to end on, is there anything you would like to plug for the lovely people at home? Yeah, of course. I would just like to say, you know, go watch. I guess me and Carl because. Yeah, we've all plays with me. Go watch us play games. Um, I'm on YouTube and Twitch at Legend of Canto, and I'm also, you know, on Carl's gaming channel with him. Yeah, and I'm also on um, those things, just yeah. under my name, Carl Smallwood. If you Google it, you'll find it. Or you'll see, you might also find some stuff of people saying that I'm a dickhead, but you can ignore that. <laughs> that's the thing I've got to deal with now: just people making videos saying Carl Smallwood's a dickhead, and then my friends send me it going, "Carl, you a dickhead?" So I guess I am. And I hope that you would listen to like an hour and a half of this podcast and realise that maybe we're not a dickhead, maybe we're just like Batman. <laughs> just really, like probably too much. Yeah, maybe. Oh, God. 
But yeah, thank you for listening and have a nice day.